0: Welcome back to Art Matters, the podcast for artists. I'm your host, Isaac Wexler-Mann. Today, I was joined by Andrea Emmerich, a Brooklyn-based artist who, honestly, I didn't know very well. Uh, Just been following her work online for a couple of years, and I'm a big fan. In our conversation, we discuss uh, how Andrea composes and develops uh, her ideas for painting. We talk about her kind of dramatic recent shift in subject matter and art practice, um, as well as uh, her definition of success and many other things besides. What I didn't expect but benefited from in this conversation is that because Andrea is very articulate and very self-aware, she was able to remind me Of this fact, of this kind of fundamental fact that the challenges that artists face are mostly universal. You know, it doesn't feel like that most of the time. Feels like it's always pinpointed at us, you know, our isolation in our studios. But that's not the case. Talking to her, I reminded myself that as artists, we're not alone. We're actually part of this great community and the problems that we face. Are being faced at that very same moment by so many other working artists we're not alone i think it's great to remember this and i thought it was very appropriate because that is actually what art matters is supposed to be about so that's very cool okay on to the conversation with andrea emmerich it's a podcast about art it's a podcast about art podcast yeah 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 it's a podcast about art all right good morning it is early morning it is a rainy morning in detroit and i am joined today by andrea emmerich andrea thanks for joining me
1: thank you for having
0: me well we have um Uh, let's just jump right into these questions, Andrea. Uh, I'm going to start with one that actually has to do with your personal studio practice. So, the question is, how do you develop a painting? Uh, What happens before the painting starts? Any hints on planning compositions? Uh, I'll go on a little bit about this and say, when I first found your work um, through Instagram, I think it was, basically, there was some subject matter that was Similar that we shared, um, but there was also like a compositional some ideas of composition that uh, really attracted me to your work. um and I'm just curious, I think a lot of that for me um takes place before the painting starts, meaning a lot of planning, a lot of um, I don't know drawing and and I use collage too, and then a lot happens while I'm painting, you know, refining compositions, but I know everyone's got their own bag of tricks. So, yeah, just curious about your composition.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the paintings in general took a big shift
0: in fall. Yeah, I noticed that. I, wanna, I got some questions about that, too.
1: Yeah. So uh, let me just talk about the new me, like current me, because mm-hmm. it's, so, it's so bizarre having such a big change and then how I used to make work before is completely different but right now I'm a drawer which is hmm. very new so I am using the sketchbook a lot more and it it's kind of funny because artists used to talk about that and I would be like I don't really do that I don't have a sketchbook I don't do that I just plan these big paintings like from my head and right. also on my what I was telling you about earlier my um finger photoshop on my iphone app right um but now it is uh it's a lot of drawing and there's they are about like five by five inch drawings i'll do with marker and um if it's right i just blow it up so i'll just Mm. blow it up into the the oil painting um and that's kind of been the the method I'm using now, but there's always these like uh, sort of stages of your of even your sketchbook, of even your drawing, like when it's ready to actually become a painting. So like there's my f- my doodles, which is literally just like hashing out ideas so rough. And then once those are there, I can kind of see it in my head. I'll make the drawing with the markers. That feels a little more permanent. I'm picking some colors, like it's getting some texture with the marker. Then if that one lands, I'll blow it up to the oil painting. But, um, so right now I kind of have these little stepping stones, but I do want to, want to try just diving right into the painting first, um, with this new way of making instead and just see how that goes. Um, but yeah, the, the sketchbook has become very, very handy because I'm more abstract and I, um, think color is really important too so it's it's nice to kind of have this i call them like prototypes little drawings like a prototype Mm -hmm. um and then that also is uh just being an artist in new york it's nice to have a bit of a idea of what you're going to do on a big canvas because they are expensive and i live in a small little hole so it's like i can't be uh too easy with my bigger work but and it's so it's nice to kind of have that first step.
0: Yeah. No, I, I hear I hear that last point especially. Um so what do you think what are you noticing the differences are that you're um I like I didn't know that before that you worked mostly out of your head. Uh what are you finding is um if anything is benefiting you with this this planning idea like uh, do the I guess a couple of side questions would be can these drawings happen anywhere you know is it not just restricted to a studio anymore can you just be on a subway yeah. or, or at work and and jot down an idea and then you mentioned color um, and I guess if you're doing these I, I also at some point found a drawing practice Like you, I didn't do it before. I thought for me, it was like composition should happen naturally. And therefore, you know, all my friends with notebooks, I didn't really know what they were doing. But when I got into it, which I did, um, it definitely helps me cartoon things out before I actually get going. But you're saying you also use color, uh, colored markers, right, to even, you know, do color studies. So um, I'm going to ask you next about this new work, because I'm very interested uh, how you speak about it. But again, with the composition and this notebook, uh, do you see um, or could articulate a difference between um, what it's brought to your practice?
1: Yes. Um, I feel like it's, it's. I'm actually very grateful for the notebook. I'm like, sure. thank God I can work in a small notebook where it feels like even the drawings on their own feel finished and have like a weight to them where I'm like Mm -hmm. okay that's like a piece of art to me like I some Mm -hmm. of my drawings I that's the art right there it's five by five inches and I don't need to make a painting of it or if I do you know I still really value these little drawings and I never had that so I feel like this burden has been lifted off of me where Mm -hmm. I have this you know kind of like this like big dick Art energy oh i gotta make this huge oil painting like no like these tiny things are very very nice and i i like that um like you said i can do it anywhere Mm -hmm. i bought a little desk so now i can sit and have the desk and i'm not crouching and reaching and doing all these things so i'm i'm able to like make work in a much more fluid i can make work every day i can make work four or five times a day as in yeah. like make so many drawings a day i can yeah. make them in the park i can make them i haven't done the subway yet that's a little much just because drawing on the subway is a whole
0: it uh, was a trick no one should draw on the subway you're just Who gonna become I? one of those people that draw people on the subway you just know?
1: be polite and ride no, I'm sure kidding. sure but, just keep it
0: but, yeah i hear you
1: but um i i I have drawn in the park though, and I've been able to take work, uh, with me, which I mean, I think could be nice for residencies and things like that, where it's like, I'm not going to have to have this really, really heavy, um, oil painting practice no, all the time.
0: Yeah. Let me ask, let me go back to a point, uh, that I like, uh, you said that, um, so that it takes the pressure off of, uh, big dick, uh, oil painting. <laughs> do you actually feel like uh, with this drawing practice, when you commit to a painting, to like canvas, to all the materials and all that, do do you feel less anxiety about it? Does it feel more like, okay, this is just the next version of an art piece that's already yeah. in my notebook? Does it take the pressure off there, too? I think,
1: I think it does have a. I I have this um, – Like, I don't want to say it's permission, but I definitely can be looser, which is nice. So that pressure is for sure. I can be looser in the drawings and can experiment more, experiment with different uh, subject matter Mm -hmm. way faster and easier than when I was just painting, painting. Yeah. Uh, But I also will say, like, something about, like, a small, if you make a small drawing, like, have, like, a punch, that's, like, even better than, like. Hmm. big oil painting energy it's like i feel like that's like your i don't know that that's more like bold in a in a sense in some ways where i'm like wow if i can make this tiny little drawing have like a a good big impact that's Hmm. very honorable i'd be very proud of that
0: i think that's a very healthy attitude i don't share it unfortunately when i figure out that my drawing or my collage is more impactful than the painting i i get very it depressed
1: it is from yeah it's inferior like why we have this in, and that's why i used like the, the term like big dick or whatever like because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like this inferiority feeling but i get that too about like why do the people like this small little drawing better than this big thing i did here like what's mm-hmm. going on but it's it does go back and forth but i think just be proud of your little drawings you know
0: it's, for sure it's good. yeah that's um I think that's a point too uh, I don't know. I don't want to project on you you might there might be different reasons why you didn't use a notebook before, but I think that there was a turning point for me when I got proud of my drawings, you know yes. before yeah. that you know I'd always had this I've been a painter for a long time, but not a drawer, uh-huh. and so that stuff was um it kind of took it was some growing pains to allow myself to uh start looking at my own hand like my own uh my own way of cartooning or drawing uh and have some pride in it. And now I probably have way too much pride in it. But <laughs> um but that was a big switch for me and it it did allow me to uh start working with more um intention in the notebook.
1: Yeah. I definitely agree.
0: Um Andrea, we just have to jump into it now. Uh, I really like talking about this topic with artists. Um, You had a, seems like a pretty seismic shift in your work uh, recently. I mean, kind of recently. Um, And I just, I want to open the floodgates. I want to know uh, what led you to that shift. If you had any choice in the matter, um, what you think was lacking in the old work or what you think was simply added in the no uh, the new work. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I just, uh, I've also, I'm familiar with, uh, shifting subject matter and changes in your art practice. Yes. It's happened to me, uh, before as well. So yeah, I just like to open yeah. the, uh, open the conversation. Tell yeah. Happen.
1: I mean, that makes me feel nice when people also talk about you know that they've had the sh- the shift too or like the shift
0: sh- with a capital <laughs> S yeah the
1: shift know. yeah because like oh god like it was so like i still feel not as much anymore but as for when it first happened it was so embarrassing i was like really? oh my god like i'm i thought i had this way of making and at the time it was what i needed to make of course yeah. and it was like my um that was my most authentic work at the time. Right. But then you have right. these shifts and you make something so different. And I think there's this pressure, especially in the New York scene and the art world to have this, such a specific style, but like, absolutely, I'm, I'm turning 30, I'm still a baby, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're all kind of still form forming that style. And eventually I have some friends who think both styles will, will kind of make sense. I don't see it right now, but mm-hmm. um basically the old work was, and I think we had, you'd seen it before um mm-hmm. i archived it all on instagram
0: i appreciate but, that i think that's uh when i noticed that because I,
1: I was looking palette. back
0: and i was like oh it's gone and it's a good yeah. way to do it you you start fresh I have, you know
1: we're still visual i mean as much as instagram doesn't matter it does i i look at it and i see it as and i had to visually i had to get rid of it but um so the older stuff was you know pretty Realistic oil paintings, but this uh, kind of surreal situations, I guess. So there was like a pop. I not, oh, I painted Marilyn Monroe. I painted like, you know, all these crazy things. Um, and it was a practice of taking, you know, one thing and pairing it with another, see what changes, right? So it was kind of like, let me take Marilyn Monroe, but she's an icy, forest like where I've never seen her before or let me take the baby's crib but it's out on the sunny front lawn you know no baby's gonna go in that that crib and then I think I got to the point where of course it's very beautiful and fun to paint to the point of realism where it's like very beautiful and satisfying but it wasn't beautiful and satisfying to make like in the studio, it was like, I got to just get to the end point of this painting because it's just torture painting like that for me, even though I can't do it, which I thought because I could do it, I should do it. And then it just got to the point where I was very exhausted. But more so than that, I was exhausted because I felt like if I'm working with images um, of our real world, whether it be like, you know, collaging them together in Photoshop or these figurative paintings, I just got to this point where I was so exhausted. I was like, I've seen it all. I've seen all things because right. I'm a human being with my eyes, going through the world, watching TV, reading and seeing seeing things. How many more times can I put two things together and make it interesting? It's just like you've seen so much. Yeah, and then yeah. on top of that, I put so many things together and um, I felt like I'd done... There wasn't this shock we're we're all we're all so done with shock value like we've seen it Mm -hmm. all especially after the last couple years like everything nothing's stimulating nothing's shocking so i working with the real world and the real images just felt like i'm gonna leave that up to uh people who make like movies or something or people Mm. who like you know photography or something leave it up to those to them with sure. painting and drawing, I, I had this shift where it's like, I just don't want, I don't have anything left to show and say for people to see. So mm-hmm. now this new work feels like I get to actually, instead of show things, I get to make things as in like, I'm more create abstracting It's sort of like you're making up a new recipe. You know, it's not something you've yeah, visually yeah. seen before. Right. Possibly. I mean, there's always still elements of the real in my work because so I'm doing trees and like things like that. But I finally feel like I can imagine and use my brain to see things instead of working with just what's around me.
0: Mm. Does that it's make like sense? You, yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's kind of like you leveled up your imagination right? Like instead of uh, being more of an editor for your own work, which is a rough way to put it, but but I I also worked in a similar way where you're just putting a few disparate parts together and unifying Mm -hmm. it to make a painting. It seems like you're uh, building from kind of the ground up with these new images, you know, more invention, more imagination, that kind of thing.
1: Yes. Yes. That's how it feels.
0: That's so cool. I'm I mean, there's a lot in there I want to dig into. The, the first thing is uh, when you mentioned the exhaustion. I mean, I think there's a lot of different words that artists use uh, to explain that feeling. Like for me, it was the well, what seemed like it had run dry. Like I was, I was using so much effort to dig up. These new ideas, or these new settings, locations, actions—you know, these things—that while used to be very full, I didn't have to look very far to come up with the cartoon or the comic that inspired the painting. But it was getting harder and harder, and it was kind of exhausting. Like I think that that's maybe I wouldn't use the word exhausting, but for me, uh, when effort is increasing, it usually means that I'm off the track. You know, I mean, we all know those good effortless days, painting or drawing, when it's just happening, when there are just ideas that that flow. And uh, before the most recent recent shift, I had, I felt it getting tighter. You know, everything just stopped. Uh, for me, it's so obvious when you when it's time to move. Like, I don't know. And, and to your other point, so that's the first thing. To your other point about embarrassment, I mean, I, I want to hang on that a minute too. I don't understand how artists of our age or older or younger um, can hang on, no, I shouldn't say it like this. Well, yeah, all right, whatever. To hang on one <laughs> type of work um, for extended periods of time, I understand that it's how this market works, and I understand that shifts like you just made um, are probably going to alienate your collector base a little bit, or if you're working with a gallery, like it is going to have uh, ramifications. Therefore, you, I do understand the impulse to stay working how you're working, um, but the more I've thought about it, I think. Uh, it is the most natural thing in the world to make these shifts. And I think great artists come out of shifts. And I think that without shifts as a inherent part of the art world, like the art world today, um, I don't really know. I mean, I've talked to other artists about branding and how our styles are now our signatures, and it's all like... Um, you know, we're all trying to be Philip Guston at, at the end instead of looking at, you know, the 50 years before where, you know, he was just moving around trying to figure things out. Um, but but so when you said "uh, maybe go back to that word embarrassed, the, yeah. the shift for you, it's a hard enough thing to do on your own to uh, leave a maybe effortful, but nonetheless comfortable studio practice and mm-hmm. move into something uh, new. But why'd you say embarrassed?
1: Um, I think it was embarrassing for like a couple, there was a couple different like sections of that. So like, so one would be, just the fact that you were looking back and thinking I was ever so confident in the old work, which hmm. is just a mean way of thinking it to myself because I was and it did hold what it needed to hold at the time. Right. Um, but I think all of us as artists, like at least for me, I go from uh, like uh, very confident to like zero confidence. So hmm. like was kind of you're on top of the world when you're making a good painting. And then when you make a bad one, it's uh, just awful and horrible. So when you try to find the style and I had this style going where I really felt like, okay, I have got it figured out. Mm. And this is just such a, like a metaphor for life in general. I can't tell you how many shifts we all have. Like I've had like in my personal life where I'm like, I've got it figured out now. Like this is me now. Oh yeah. This is uh how I'm gonna be, how I'm gonna live. And then bam, you have this shift and it just didn't work or wasn't working, and you have to like uh have that like ego death or humility. So that yeah. part of it I think felt embarrassing. Um, but what was more embarrassing was just like learning, I could see a little bit of how I wanted my work to look, but I It's abstraction. I couldn't fully see it yet. So I had to really experiment. And there were some bad paintings. So that was embarrassing. Because it was just like, I was so comfortable making these like real oil paintings. And people would enjoy them because they they seemed a little impressive. And now I'm painting these blocks of red. And I look like a fool. Or I just felt like it it just... And I was bad at it. So it's just like doing something you're not used to doing you know you're starting over so there's that element of like embarrassment because you're like a new baby like walking fumbling around it's just not graceful and if you and that's again where we you hit on like it's easier to stay in your comfort zone where you know you can hit some pretty good stuff but but also what you said again too it's like when you know you know you have to shift because Mm -hmm. even if i was hitting out like these paintings that were received well or just seemed right or made people happy. Like I, I felt completely exhausted and drained and just uninspired by it. And when you said again, the effort was, it was so much effort to get me to do it and to finish mm-hmm. that thing it was like
0: working out you know it's just like i gotta
1: get through this one like uh, another
0: like yeah, mile that's run, a you good know? metaphor for it too really yeah, it feels like that kind of work but yeah. think
1: about when you're playing tennis you're like having fun you're playing like while mm-hmm. you're playing the game you're yes you're working out but, like you're, you're you know if you're playing a sport or you're dancing like you're you're enjoying the process not just the fitness you gained later or something so that's yeah. kind of my new practice where i have a lot less effort for, um, you know, enjoying the the process, but yeah, again, so the embarrassment was, was lots of parts mixed together, but again, you, you covered it all, like with just, this is going to shock the collector base or this is going to mm-hmm. shock, um, my parents <laughs> or something. <laughs> and it did, but I will say, like, I think it just, if it's your authentic growth and it needed to happen and these new, new paintings if you're really coming from a place where you're like i i want to make work that makes me happy it resonates with other people and they feel it and they realize and they know and they'll shift with you and and so many people were so like i'm so so happy and grateful for a lot of my friends and art mentors who just not only like saw the shift but were like excited and they were like oh this is you know I see more of you in this now. So I, I wasn't totally, don't like check yourself and gaslight yourself and be like, no, 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 this has to be me. This was always me. This ha-. People can tell like when your art is not reflecting you. And so I had a lot of people say like, this looks more like you. And I was like, really? Mm-hmm. Like that's shocking. But I did, it did feel that way. So sure, yeah, just it's, it's It was hard, but I'm glad it happened. But it's just like a growth spurt in anything. It's painful. It's embarrassing. Mm. You start off bad. You're still bad. Everything's, you know, just it's new. So, and then I was going to say to you, sorry, this might be too much of a tangent, but don't you feel also that this is, these shifts are like, we keep saying the word shift, like how many times am I going to say shift? But these shifts <laughs> It'll are lose shift. all
0: meaning pretty soon. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, ah. so shifts are shifts, right? Mm-hmm. But once you're in your practice, there's also these mini shifts, right? So I call those like, um, it's a, it's like a game, it's a it's a growth painting or it's like a game changer painting. So you make like three or four paintings or drawings that are kind of like you're comfortable in. And yeah. then you have this transitional piece, which takes you up a level and it's awkward and it's weird and it's horrible. And you're, you're nervous, but then you're like, Oh, that was good. And then you have three or four more on that level of the plateau. And then another transitional piece, you go up another level and it's, it's uncomfortable. Those are always so uncomfortable. So I was used to those. Yeah. But then to have the big shift where the whole practice changes is is definitely more jarring. But again, mm-hmm. look at the history of all these people. Look at uh, all the artists who, you know, back in the 60s, 70s were happily doing both performance oh, yeah. art and photography and making plates and, and then also being like Picasso and doing everything. So,
0: right, yeah. Yeah. A lot of evidence for that. Andrea, those were great answers. I mean, uh, sh- we should move on to other questions, but I'll, okay. I'll just hit uh, again that um, when you said that most artists uh, are that uh, that balance between confidence and ego, right? That you're, you're always kind of going back and forth between those. And I agree with it. Um, but I think what I've come to realize is that... Uh, you don't necessarily want that to be in perfect balance all the time, because that's that's also, like you said, it is a barrier for trying something new. Because if you're working in a new way and you find that your confidence is less present than it was the week before when you were working in the old way, it doesn't necessarily mean um, that you're on the wrong track. Like it, it, it actually quite often means. The opposite that it is when things are shaky like i loved how you described those uh those mini shifts when you're on unstable footing is i think when you're most um you're most there you know most yeah. present with your work and it reminds me uh of this great quote by um this artist uh, vincent desiderio when he said that every painting should be made Every painting should be made by the skinnier teeth. Like every single one should be like desperate, and I and I dig that. I don't think I think that that may be too far in the other direction. I think I'd have a daily panic attack if that was yeah. true. <laughs> um, but I really like that idea because it tells you that if, um, if I mean I know we were talking about effort the other way before, but your analogy to the gym was perfect. It's not just about effort. Paintings can uh, take all the effort in the world, but when it's work, you know, when it's just work, when it's just like exercise, where you're just, uh, you're not looking forward to it. It's all heavy, and it all takes this chunk of time. um, Desperation is a great um, alternative word for that, because it should be... To be too confident um, that you're not getting into that unbalanced footing territory, it um, mm-hmm. I think it can stop you yeah. from really exploring what, what you need to be doing and what happens yeah. next.
1: I completely agree.
0: And I love painting talk. I, we should do way more of it uh, on this podcast. But I think now we need to get into uh, – Some artist life question. So the next one we got here is, what's a good way of balancing work and art? You work, you make art. Uh, What are some tips and tricks you use to um, keep your brain able to make that jump probably daily? Um, What do you... What do you do? What would you how would you advise people who are still like, oh yeah, I still need to have a part slash full-time job to make mm-hmm. my whatever my artwork is, uh yeah. how do I keep those in in balance?
1: Um I've had so many weird jobs. I just re- <laughs> sorry, I just remembered like basically what I was gonna say was. Please try to have like the dumbest job possible.
0: Oh, I like that. And I agree with it. (laughs) Don't
1: be embarrassed to have the dumbest job possible. (laughs) Because if you can just clock in and be the donkey for a little bit and clock out and leave it there, you are in such a better position for your art. And it actually just feels better because you're like, you get a little break from the studio. You clock in at your day job where you just. I mean, I just, I, I have had jobs before where it's, it's full time, it's salary and you're never off the clock. So I would warn against that. And so what I do now is I work as little as possible at the least responsibility job possible. Right. So as in, I do the front desk at a spa or Mm. I've been a dog washer before. So you clock it. dog washer? a washer because i thought washer. i was gonna be a dog groomer and i was starting with the washing and it yeah. was a. I thought it was the perfect i'll go that's a whole other story i mm-hmm. thought i was like this is the perfect job for an artist because you just go into this meditative space with your hands but you are like you're getting shit on literally so that was a little <laughs> too far on the on that spectrum but also much respect to all dog washers i really did enjoy a lot of that so that's an option for you but I would say as least the least amount of time you can. But I think what's more important than the the working as little as possible is yes. Having a job that has the least responsibility so that your mind can just leave it at work and come back to your life, your studio life. And you can really see that job is like, that's just your tool for getting you to the studio. It's just your, it's like your bread and butter mobile. It's just this like, um, it's helping me, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like, Oh, I have to go to this job. It's like, no, this is actually helping me have total creative freedom. This is helping me have, um, so much more time in the studio. This is helping me keep my art, uh, pure and virgin just to my vision and not have to, you know, squander for it or something. So working like that is, is really nice. And to be honest, I don't know if, even if my, uh, studio practice takes over as full time, I mean, obviously I would be so excited for that, but a part yeah. of me is like, I think I need to clock out of that and yeah, go yeah, wash yeah. a dog. Like I have mm-hmm. to mentally have that day job yeah. because the studio can be just so much alone time, so grueling and just so um, isolating, which I'm working on making it a little less of that in certain other ways. But but I do think, yeah, no shame in it. A part-time job—it's your friend, you know. Try to see it as a tool that works for you instead of you working for it. And don't be embarrassed to work. Just—that's not your work, you know. Your work is your art. Your your career is your art. So don't identify with the day job. You can do anything, you know.
0: That's Um, that's so cool. No, I think that's great advice. Uh, Maybe I would just add to uh, that that first part is that. Um. I think with I think it might take a little bit of um effort to to keep a part-time or a full-time job as simple as possible like I think I had this experience when you know I went from coffee shops to restaurants. the idea being you take low um responsibility positions and you just keep it there. You keep your focus in the studio. You don't bring anything home with you. But I think it's it's kind of natural for a lot of people to, you know, just want to whatever their job is to get really into it, to take it seriously, to do the best job. I mean, we're artists too. We're kind of naturally OCD and kind of, uh, well, hyper might be a push. I know a lot of artists that are not hyper-focus, but um, for me, it was something where it it was kind of insidious the way that my work took over in my painting. Like all of a sudden it was this, I was constantly on call and I was going in on studio days when I didn't think I had to. And I was, you know, training people and you just, you've, I I think it can get tricky because a job and your work life and your work family, all of that can just Get in there like through all the cracks, I would say, especially in New York City, when you do have to work a lot if you Mm -hmm. want to do everything else. So I love the idea. Take a simple job, um, whatever, you know, will get you by, but then kind of monitor it, because I do think simple jobs can. Oh, yeah. They can take over. um, Yeah. If you're not careful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've had that experience before too, where I, I work a job and, and I naturally, whatever's in front of me at that moment, I think this is maybe an artist thing, maybe just a human thing, but we do, it can't not affect you completely, you know, and, and you do end up trying to do your best at the job because you want to be, you know, but, but I, I've found myself doing too much, you know, at a job and needing to pull myself back and be like, okay, um, I don't have to go to, okay. So now I sound like, like a manager's worst nightmare. Like don't go too above and beyond. Okay. Like just, sure, sure. It, always just show up 10
0: minutes late, talk. you know, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but really like, cause I think I do. And we, a lot of people do err on the side of doing more and more, more and more and people pleasing and pleasing your boss or pleasing the, pleasing the coworkers and just, um, So kind of keep it a little bit in check where it's like, I want to, I also try to be my best worker when I'm at that job. What I mean is like, when I clock out, Mm. it goes, I have to have it go away, you know? So, so I do still value working, working hard and being a good, you know, little employee. And because that also it's just a break. Like it's a meditative break from your studio practice. It's a break from your art life. Just dive into the barista for a moment. And, but, but hopefully we can all like, um, have those positions where, yeah, when you clock out, no one's calling you, you know, I've had those jobs before. It's like, Oh my God, they're calling me all the time or I'm too responsible for too many things. So, but yeah, the balance, it's hard. It's hard. Do you-
0: Okay. So I, I liked, I really liked how you put it that, um, that, that part time job is like there are benefits to it. You know, it's not a, if artists looked at their part time jobs a little bit more often as, wow, this is a good break from the studio, uh, as opposed to, why can't I just be selling more and I can quit this awful job? You know, I, I really respect that. And I think it's an important point to make. But it does, um, bring me to uh the next question of andrea what's your idea of success like what is where do you want to get in your career um what are the like milestones that you envision like five years 10 years Do, do you have these these ideas uh and then how does it how does it um i don't know meld or mold with the joy of having uh, maybe part-time art practice and part-time work yeah what do you think yeah
1: oh that's such a big question i know i know it's like it's okay i'll give you my this is the truth you know like lately and just in my life success is not gonna mean what i used to think it meant and also it really just means i'm mentally well and healthy Mm. and i'm making the most the best art i can possibly put forward like Mm. the integrity of of that and just the art and also just my being and just being able to be a good um i don't want to say good but just being able to be like a human being and Mm. like just make the best art i can like in so i i don't want to put these milestones on myself or these certain mm-hmm. markers that is like okay now i'm successful like cuz i do feel like success is in like every single day if i can see it it's hard to mm-hmm. see it but if that's what i would find successful is like the day that i can just see it and just be um content and have peace of mind and feel like at peace with uh, the world around me and feel that I'm able to express myself in the most authentic way with my work. (laughs) And, and technically I I can already do that today. So that way I feel successful already. Um, Yeah. It's, it's weird. And that shifted not long ago either, where Hmm. I stopped chasing the rat race of like, I got to have this. I got to have that. They have this. I need that. I need to have no part-time job. I need to have a bigger studio. I got to have shows. I got to have more sales. I have to, I mean, it's just so goofy. Like when I think about it now, cause I'm just like, I, I, I just want to be like, well, I guess, and just be um, safe and happy and come and and healthy. Like that sounds so silly, but, and it's probably not helpful, but that's where I'm at. Like truly. And I, I think, um, and that comes from a lot of the art struggle too, is like, we're in, I've been in situations where I'm not safe. Like I'm not stable. I'm not secure. I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know with finances with living situations with new york city like those smallest of things like that is the biggest success if you can just feel okay like in this city and being an artist and making art like you won big time Mm -hmm. but if we want to go into okay what would be a cherry on top um (laughs) uh i a bigger studio um uh huge stretcher bars painting way bigger than I want to paint huge I want people to I want to hire a foundry to make sculptures of certain things I want to make high low I want to have high 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 art and Mm. low 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 keychains. like I want to be like there's so many things where I'm like oh that would be so nice that'd be so nice and and but I try to see that like you know your success is just if you drew today if you made a painting today if you like And if you made a painting you like, that's even like beyond successful, you know, and and then if the painting you like someone else likes like that's the best success like Mm -hmm. possible. So everything else is just a wash because at the end of the day, it's like I could I could be happy like working full if I have to go back to Ohio and work full time at a dental office. I'll be sketching and Mm -hmm. it'll be okay, you know, right
0: on. Andrea, I think that's the most healthy answer to that question I've heard. Probably too healthy. I think you're off the podcast.
1: Yeah, I think I, that was like not fun. People want to be like, "No, you gotta hustle, you gotta grind." No. Please inspire me. And I'm like, go back to Ohio, work at the dental office.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I disagree. I think that that is exactly the kind of advice that. I mean, it might be hard to convince a twenty-something-year-old that that is yeah. that is the best advice, but but, I, but think, I think yeah like
1: experienced mm-hmm. little bits of success and you realize like that's not it didn't you know fulfill but it is such uh i'm still so grateful for the successes i've had but yeah it's just when you get down to the grit of it being an artist is so much more than these like you know structures we've put around it in the art world like you're an artist you are like a you are literally like a wizard of society like you should be like in a perfect world like the artists should be given like a small little house in the village and people should come to them for any celebration and advice. Like they mm-hmm. are like magical people. Like they really should be like, like you are just like, it's you're not meant you're too in tune for this world. Like every single artist. I really believe that. Like mm-hmm. you suck that for them to try to put you into like work and money and tax bracket categories is insane. Mm-hmm. Like you should be in the village. Like, mind peddling around just minding your business and everyone should just be like that's the artist
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love that i think that's great it reminds me of something um uh, i think Grimes said this the musician grimes that um big name artists should all be um contracted to do um to do art or children's books specifically aimed at um any kid between the ages of zero and uh, like just born or three years old because studies have shown that this is like the most important time when we're making all of our Mm -hmm. neurological connections and we Mm -hmm. are you know seeing the world for the first time and that artists i mean you would expect big name artists more than normal artists but i don't know um artists have like you're saying this sort of direct line Mm -hmm. to, um, image making ideas, uh, suggestibility, like all of the stuff that is, you know, it would be like a public service for artists to at a certain point, just make work for young, young kids. And I think that's awesome. I I really like that idea. And I like how you put it too, is that we so often, and actually my next question is going to get to this. Um, relegate ourselves to, you know, the starving artist moniker. It's so, desperation has a place in the studio when you're working on something, but when it when it surrounds the rest of your life, when you really feel like, you know, you're not so put upon, uh, understandably so, um, to remember that what artists have Uh, Whether they're able to articulate that, you know, to communicate it uh, verbally or um, through the art that they make, they are special people that this society needs now more than ever. And it's Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. You you said it that way. Oh, (sighs) like I said, this podcast is getting too healthy. (laughs) All right. Oh, okay. Okay, this is the question I wanted to go into next, um, and and you kind of touched on it before. But um, over the years, I've had a changing um, perspective on the feelings of jealousy, um, specifically uh, when it involves um, a jealousy for other artists, probably artists around your own age probably your own location, yeah, you know. Um, And I'll just, and I'm curious uh, your take on jealousy in the art world or personally, Um, but I'll just tell you uh, quickly that my idea throughout my 20s was jealousy was like something to be avoided or if unable to avoid it, ashamed of. Like you should not and and it really did cause me a lot of like shame and guilt when you know a a good friend of mine got something, you know, like their first solo or whatever it was and my um my feelings of like you know my pride for them and their accomplishment was kind of mired by this feeling of jealousy. Like, I was like, why the fuck do you feel jealous of, you know, it was this long, internal, difficult debate for me where every time I felt that instead of purely joy for that friend or that acquaintance or whatever, um, it would take me down a rabbit hole of, you know, self criticism or self-disgust what i've what i moved into once i realized that was bullshit um is is that jealousy probably just like in relationships it is so natural and to be aware of it is way better than to avoid it so for me i got to a point where something lovely would happen to something I love in, uh, somebody I love in their career. And I was able to feel both things at once, you know, like truly proud of them. And the congratulations were always sincere. Like I got to that point, it actually helped me to get to that point. Um, and that jealousy was present, but it was kind of like accepted. Like I kind of, you know, I invited it in. Like, okay, you're there. You know, you have your ego. You have this thing you've been working very hard on. Someone else got it, whatever it is. Um, You know, it, so for me, and it's probably still present, although I love how you put the idea that um, you don't have these, these benchmarks for your career. You know, you don't, you're you're trying to just live in the successes, the the daily successes or the daily progress, and I think I'm getting closer to that point. But I've also just decided that jealousy is not the end of the world, and you can you can and should be aware of it. If you're feeling it, be aware of it, and don't think it's it's somehow a uh, betrayal of loyalty to to have those feelings. You know. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: and i think you saying like jealousy is not the end of the world like i i really think jealousy is the beginning of the world like Mm. i think when we feel that way i and it took me obviously the same journey you had because we had um envy is one of the deadliest sins you know so when you felt jealous you're bad. Why are you so bad? You know, that's kind of the upbringing we've all kind of had in this society of just, when you felt jealous, you're wrong and you're bad and you're, you're, you must really not like that. And we knew that wasn't true. She's like, no, that's my friend. And I do like, I am happy for their success, but I feel this jealousy. And I think um, once you realize like it's inevitable and it's an emotion that, Like I said, like it's the beginning of the world. Like it is, we have that for a reason. And I think to me now, when I feel jealous, I feel like good. I'm like good. I'm glad you're jealous because now you you actually are motivated, or you've or I won't say motivated, but I'll say this: like when I feel like a a a tinge of jealousy, I've really found a way to now. I actually am like, thank God they got that amazing show or that amazing uh whatever it is this Mm -hmm. incredible opportunity or this big sculpture they just made like i actually get happy because it shows me that that is possible in this world to have that so now i know that can happen to me too you know like it's basically just this because i have been in situations uh when right after college i didn't know these things were even possible honestly my Mm. my art schooling was very focused on art, art history they didn't tell us about galleries and shows and exhibitions and making all your money on art you know they just Mm -hmm. didn't say we just learned about the p christ or you know like all that so so once i realized like oh my gosh you can have that oh you can have your art like collab with like a a major fashion brand like you Mm -hmm. can have your art Mm -hmm. uh get you in a huge studio and you can get married when you're an artist. You can have a kid when you're an artist and you can like uh, make buku bucks like that. If, even though it does, like you have that jealousy, I just started to be like, wow. Like I didn't even think that was possible at one point. So I'm really glad to see uh, that have manifesting for somebody because <laughs> now I understand it's possible for me. It's possible for you. It's possible for everybody. So I try to just really see it as like, jealousy is just lean into it, you know? And there's also really like, this is maybe your unhealthy side of the podcast where it's like, if you feel jealous, like if I feel jealous, I try to be like, okay, mere time, like what if I need to, I want something, you know, or I want to work on something or there's something that, you know, I really, but yeah, you kind of use that fire to get you motivated and to like, um, attack it later in studio. But, by all means, it's very hard and conflicting when it's like people you love and enjoy and you feel this emotion. But just, I think just taking all shame and badness from jealousy, just separate it because it's not bad to be jealous. It's perfectly natural, even again, healthy, but like, it's just what will happen inevitably. And um, you have to kind of lean into it in a way where it's like, you see what it's covering and what, what it, is helping you do rather than diving into it and letting it fester and and feeling because that's half of the reason why i think jealousy festers is like because of what you mentioned where it's because of the shame and guilt attached to it it's because you want to make you want to stop yourself from feeling jealous ever again feel like you should not feel jealous but don't resist it let it be a part of your of you because it will come back always (laughs) like
0: yeah yeah no that's great uh, yeah, yeah, I love that. I think we, we teased that out. Um, Andrea, I think we should, looking at the time here. Yeah, uh, let's, let's move on to, uh, the part of the podcast called Studio Notes. Insert great song here. Studio Notes, Studio Notes, Studio And we're back. So, in this section uh, called Studio Notes, we're both going to take turns uh, discussing an idea, either practical or abstract, that's um, come up recently. Andrea, you want to start?
1: Sure. Um, Let's see. So, I'm kind of (laughs) just looking at my uh, notes here. I was on an airplane and just kind of making a game out plan is what I call it, like gaming things out. So Hmm. um I think that maybe is my main note too is like I'm you know I have these four days a week where it's completely art making, which is very, very uh nice, but it it can be stagnant. So
0: Hmm.
1: I've recently made like a I'm trying to game out every single week where I combine ideas of Paintings and drawings and literal ideas that I want to hash out, but also like um, art inspiration breaks. So going to galleries, um, going into nature, like prescribed, like even if I don't want to do it, I'm going to do it, like go to walk across a bridge go to a museum like a natural history museum like something bizarre or just library things like that so I've kind of been like trying to game out what these things look like and what these things are for my studio practice and I have some pretty like funny lists like like literally like you know make I want to make some bigger drawings with um uh, maybe round things out more with charcoal, with colored pencils, so adding things on top of the marker drawings, like bigger drawings, smaller drawings, hmm. paintings on paper, just, I'm really also trying to like, minimize my entire studio, like, I'm on this kick of like, I want to use up every single thing I have, so like, I, cool. in a thrifty way, but also just an obsessive way of where I know I have these two like, larger sketchbooks, like, I need to just get in there and just use it all up. And just keep drawing and keep um, making kind of a mess and like using different materials. So there's that side of it, but there's also like these other little like side missions, like I'm going to start stretching. Like I want to learn how to do the splits. So I'm going to be stretching the studio and I already have been, but I need to like, really like go a little deeper with that. But you know, stretching these nature things, library, try to read a book. Oh, I'm also going to become a history buff. So I'm going to watch anything on YouTube. That's like, you know, those corny history documentaries just about, okay, like today we're going to deeply learn way too much about you know
0: the Black Plague or something or, or Ooh, what was I love the that. One? Also, you should look into Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. Have you come across oh, that?
1: No, I haven't. It's a I
0: podcast, will. like four-hour-long episodes yes. of just deep dives into usually pretty horrid history. So I wasn't going to mention it, but if you're thinking about you know researching the uh, yes. the plague, then I think this is right. this is
1: one really alley. good 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 thing I did, and I suggest everyone do it. Is take a day and just watch and learn everything you can about Krakatoa. And then Krakatoa was Krakatoa. this. Do you know what Krakatoa was?
0: Uh, I don't tell me.
1: Um, and that, it's funny because like everyone's like kind of heard it before you've heard hmm. about, right. But you don't know what it is. Like, that's what I felt. I was like, I know I've heard that Krakatoa, but it was a volcano hmm. that started the dark ages. Cause it sent all of it's.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. No, the name didn't sound familiar, but sure. I yeah. know this, uh, this happened.
1: Yeah, And so then for like two weeks, every like social interaction I had or like party or whatever, I'm like, so you guys heard about crack a toe, right? And he's like, Why are we talking about this? And I'm like, because it is just so similar to the current times and just, it's just can't believe I didn't know about it. So kind of diving into these little rabbit holes is, is, uh, definitely important because i think it just gets you thinking and whatever you can find that you get obsessed with i think for for the studio for your game out of the week like just find whatever is gonna hook your interest and just Mm. go into it so i have all these weird lists on on my um notebook here but it's like lists mixed with like to-do lists so it's like it's literally like crack a toe, and it's like clean the toilet, and like stretch, comb your hair. A uh, bear in a pig costume, rare foods, baklava, unnatural. Like it's just so many random. I love it. Things, and then also just tips. Like consider, I like talk to myself like in this notebook. Like I'm not me, but it's like consider a large oil stick. Unfortunately, something to texturize. Like it's just like this ongoing I don't know. I'm like too, you gotta coach yourself kind of give that's yourself awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stream of consciousness, note taking, and that was I, all
1: over the place. I hope that wasn't insane sounding, but um perfect. yeah it was perfect. Yeah. That's what's up.
0: That's the inside of an artist's, you know, mind. That's that's what yeah. it looks like in there, you know? It does. That's so cool. Uh I think my answer is um less interesting probably. Uh, But I've been thinking about um, this idea and this feeling of urgency in the studio. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, urgency, usually, uh, I feel it when, of course, we all feel it when a deadline is approaching, right? Like, so you really start noticing the hours ticking, you know, minutes ticking by. And um, it's not really a bad or a good feeling at that juncture, I'd say. It's just you know, you you're in a time crunch and that's how it is. Pull some all nighters and figure it out. But then I noticed that I could manufacture that feeling when I didn't have a, you know, show lined up, which is good when you yes. don't have shows lined up.
1: Yes. That's um, it. Yeah.
0: And I was uh, and I was kind of uh, I, that feeling was a good feeling to know that I could make that same type of motivation for myself. Uh, not based on externals, right? That was like, it felt like a a superpower or like a a new muscle. Um, But lately in the studio, I've been feeling like it's it's run rampant. Like it's uh, my sense of self-created urgency is it's like it's become a monster. And I've had to uh, dial back and become more perceptive about, uh, the balance that, that, that is needed. So urgency, it of course has its positives. It keeps you just like jealousy. Kind of, it keeps you motivated. It keeps you, um, you know, your intentions are, are high. Uh, but this sense of urgency over the last week has I don't know. It's tightened me. Like in all the hours I'm not in the studio, I'm kind of touchy and I'm tight and I'm these things. And it—it's that. It's—it's it's very specifically the feeling that I'm running out of time to finish this next painting. And it—I'm not saying it's totally baseless. Like I do have a time frame in mind. It's—it's it's not um, just totally abstract, but it's self-created you know, it's up to me when this happens. And, um, and what I'm trying to do now is to dial back this sense of urgency and allow it to be there. Um, and know that it is kind of a superpower. Uh, but it, it's, it's kind of taking over right now and I'm trying to mitigate those effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very relatable. Uh, especially as far as like, kind of setting your own urgency too but then dialing back like you said and and still having a reasonable expectation of your output um but one of my friends she always says like i can't believe i'm making up these rules and these time frames for painting it feels like I'm just playing with Barbies and I don't know if you can relate but sometimes you step back and you're like I'm literally just like it's like when you're a kid and you're you're you set up the universe for your Barbies so you kind of set up your studio practice for your own self but you're the god and you're the person and then you just fight with yourself it's really bizarre but sometimes I try to just be like girl you're just playing barbies like you're just doing you're just you're playing and that's and that's good but i also i totally think i could learn from you in the sense of yeah like uh time is ticking you know i gotta yeah. gotta make gotta gotta give myself some sort of frame in this world to to do it all get that urgency is
0: good sure yeah. uh, i mean i love that analogy uh playing with barbies i think we should all remember that at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. We're all, you know, playing with Barbie. We're we're in charge. We're uh, we we do the setups and yep. just playing with Barbies. I like that very much. <laughs> um, Andrea, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm really glad that you joined me for it, and I think there was a lot there that a lot of artists are going to learn from. All of your healthy advice, of course.
1: Oh my God.
0: <laughs> and um, oh, uh, and uh, tell the listeners where they can find your work and how to uh, see what you're up to, whatever your social media, websites.
1: Yeah, um, it's all really the Instagram. Um, I'm updating my website right now, um, but that's just my full name, Andrea Lee Emmerich it's a n d r e a l e i g h e amazon mary amazon mary e r i c h . c o m nice and, right. <laughs> and then my instagram is my first and last name andrea emrick 9 and that's where you'll find most updated stuff and my stories and just whatever's on my mind um and that way you I'm connected by email through there and I'm always on the DMs. So that's definitely where to find me and where we can connect together. And also if anyone is in the New York area and wants to do a studio visit, I'm very open for that. I live in a Live Work studio in East Williamsburg, Bushwick cool. area in a loft. And it's fun. And I, I really want to get some more people over because it's been a while since I've been like, you know, showing things. And I think that's fun if you want to come hang. So
0: Cool. That's an awesome offer. And everyone in New York should take you up on that. And Mm -hmm. it reminds me, not only did we not get to a number of these questions, but um, I would love to get you on the episode, uh, sorry, on the podcast again in the future and talk to you about your live workspace. Because I I just I think that that is so uh, fundamentally difficult, or perfect, depending Mm -hmm. on what kind of artist you are. And I would love to talk to you again about that and many, many more things.
1: Okay, that would be great. There's so much to that that I could say. So trust me, I could talk.
0: (laughs) All right. Next time, Andrea, thanks so much for joining me again.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: All right. That does it for my conversation with Andrea Emmerich. Um, You can find links to her website, her Instagram in the show notes or episode description. You can find my work at isaacman.com, spelled uh, two A's and two N's, or isaac.man on Instagram. If you have any questions you'd like asked and answered on future episodes of Art Matters, please write in to Podcast at com. And thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'll be back uh, with another episode in a week or two. Until then that's the show it's over now that's the show it's over now our matters podcast will be back next week so tune in then for more great stuff